Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. G'day, my name is Jackson McInerney and you are listening to Stick Together, the only national program covering union news, workers' stories and social justice, and broadcast around the country on the Community Radio Network. Stick Together is recorded at 3CR's Melbourne Studios, which stand on the stolen land belonging to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We respect their unceded sovereignty, always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Today on Stick Together, we will be speaking with high school teacher and AEU representative Josh Sankey about the recently launched Protected Industrial Action in Victoria's school system. We will also touch on how the industry is feeling as we exit lockdown and welcome staff and students back into Victoria's thousands of schools. But first, some union news. New data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics suggests that nearly 900,000 Australian workers are forced to work for two or more employers to make ends meet. The exact number is 867,900, which is the highest figure ever recorded since the Bureau began keeping the data in 1994. Perhaps more concerning, a whopping 209,100 workers now have at least three jobs, a shocking increase of 10.8% from June 2020. Young workers are the most impacted, with more than half of the near 900,000 working multiple jobs are under the age of 35. The overall majority of workers with at least two jobs are also women. Healthcare and social services are the industries where multiple job holding has increased most significantly. This is made more remarkable considering the findings of the Aged Care Royal Commission and the growing size of these industries in battling the pandemic. The federal government loves to trumpet the new jobs created under its watch, but the stats reveal the quality of these new roles as increasingly insecure and underpaid. ACTU Secretary Sally McManus commented, The Morrison government has smashed yet another record, the most Australians working two or more jobs ever. The record number of Australians working three or more jobs is a deeply concerning trend. The Morrison government is overseeing the erosion of the financial security that secure employment has provided for generations of Australian workers. The Morrison government urgently needs to address the insecure jobs crisis plaguing this country. Australian workers have been doing it extremely tough for almost two years. Industrial conflict is brewing between the Australasian Meat Industries Employees Union, the AMIEU, and coal supermarkets after the corporate behemoth announced it will make all in-store butchers and meat packers redundant from the 11th of October this year. With minimal discussion or negotiation, Coles informed impacted workers that they could choose between redundancy or redeployment, with no guarantees of matched hours or wages according to materials released by the AMIEU. The union has begun a campaign asking shoppers to boycott Coles for so callously laying off frontline workers during the pandemic. 
The Fair Work Ombudsman reports it has successfully recouped over $148 million in stolen wages for Australian and migrant workers in the past fiscal year. While the number is a record high in the officer's history, further inquiries into the Ombudsman's reports suggest it is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of wage theft. The $148 million was distributed to 69,735 workers, while the Fair Work hotline received more than 423,000 complaints in the same time period. A recent Fair Work Ombudsman success story is the finding by the Federal Court that a Canberra-based massage parlour deliberately hired vulnerable Filipino workers, forced them to work dangerously long hours, dramatically underpaid them, forbade them from speaking their native language, and made threats against their families if they complained. Compensation is yet to be finalised, but Justice Amanda Katzman found that the Filipino workers experienced more exploitative conditions on the basis of their race. The owners of the foot and tie massage parlour have filed for bankruptcy. And that's all for Union News. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. My name is Jackson McInerney and I'm here for Stick Together. And today we're talking with a teacher from the Victorian State School System, Josh Sankey, who is also the representative for the Australian Education Union, Victorian branch, for his school, which is in Albert Park, and it's a large state school of around 1,500 students. Now, at the time of this recording, students are just about to return to face-to-face learning in a staggered format uh, next week. They will have just began as this goes to air. Uh, And the AEU has recently voted, uh, with 97% of their members voting to take protected industrial action. Uh, in response to the Victorian government's you know, complete disregard of the log of claims that the AEU put forward across the course of this year. So on the 18th of October, AEU members in schools uh, began to implement the first of these protected actions. So it's an interesting time to talk to a teacher about the working environment and about the hopes for the future. So, Mr. Josh Sankey, sir, nice to have you here and thanks for coming on to Stick Together. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, first of all, I guess the thing to ask is we've been in lockdown in Melbourne for a long time. We've been in what's called remote and flexible learning for some time in schools. How are you feeling about welcoming all the kids back uh, as we hit our 80% vaccination target? Yeah, that's a, a, it's a good question because I am not entirely sure how I'm feeling. I think after a fair bit of soul-searching, I have landed on excited, of all things. Um, as you mentioned, some students have come back already. Our Year 12 has been back since the start of the term, and it has been really good to see them. Uh, exams are coming up, so there is a lot of stress, perhaps stress that wasn't communicated as effectively during remote and flexible learning, so they're doing a bit of catching up. Um, and before welcoming them back, I felt very anxious and I wasn't entirely sure what the source of that was but thinking about it more deeply I think I was actually just nervous. We've been in lockdown for a long time. Uh, I've forgotten how to teach, students have forgotten how to study, we've forgotten how to (laughs) interact with people in so many ways even though we have worked incredibly hard to maintain some sense of normality across online and face-to-face learning and we have worked really hard to I guess 
make sure that we're covering all of the same bases that we would in any format, it's still just a massive shift in how the job actually functions. Um, so I'm, I'm excited, I'm nervous. Uh, there is definitely a sense of relief, I think, uh, but it's not so much a relief in terms of uh, student outcomes. It's more just, I'm relieved to get out of the house. <laughs> I'm relieved to uh, spend a bit less time looking at screens and a bit more time you know, knowing what's going on and maintaining those really strong connections um, that are, to be honest, the, the best and most rewarding part of this job. Mm. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what is being put into place at your school to help both students and teachers remember how this whole face-to-face -face learning things work. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, right at the top of the school is, uh, that I work at is extremely mindful of student well-being and of staff well-being. Um, and there has been a, a great deal of discussion around what to be mindful of, both in terms of like OHS stuff, you know, safety and, and the concern that I'm sure we all share just about COVID and, and the nature of um, how that spreads and, you know, the, the fact that there isn't really a way to teach on site without very significant exposure to a lot of people that are from, you know, a, a range of places. But also just in terms of managing, I guess, that social element of the role that is, is unavoidable. So, one example is that this Friday, we are welcoming back the remainder of our students. All of our classes, uh, upon their return, are going to have a kind of special tutorial lesson organised at the start of the day, really just to ensure that everyone knows that what we're going through is something we're going through together. Uh, there is really no escape you know, from the school community and, and the interactive nature of what we do here. So really just saying, we're in this together, this is what you might be experiencing, um, these are the, the well-being and support services that we have on offer. This is what's the same, you know, for that sense of comfort and continuity. This is what will be different. There is going to be a lot of open conversation and reminders of the support that is available. Are you worried about outbreaks within the school community or exposure? Uh, yeah, of, of course. You know, I think I am worried about outbreaks in general. Uh, and I think that you know, the, the sort of shift in tone in terms of how we are now dealing with numbers and uh, especially coming off the back of, what has it been, 200 odd days where numbers have been our obsession. So yes, of course I am. However, the school and I guess by extension, the Department of Education have been very proactive and very clear about their stance on vaccination. Um, I think there is definitely a sense where we don't have, uh, I guess, a quick fix solution. This isn't, you know, going away as much as we might want it to. Um, vaccination isn't necessarily going to cure our uh, concerns, you know, even though it may do a great deal to actually prevent these outbreaks or at very least, you know, prevent the severity and onset of COVID. Um, but there is a real sense of unity and solidarity behind vaccinations, behind being respectful, um, you know, of each other's space and of, of these rules insofar as they are there to serve a, a very specific purpose that will help all of us. So, yes, I am worried. Um, if the question was, you know, would I prefer to stay in lockdown to, you know, for the sake of general safety, I don't know. I do have confidence that were there to be an outbreak, the school and our leadership team, our staff, our students would respond very quickly and appropriately but yeah, I would, I would love to say that that kind of allays my fears, but I can't. Yeah, it's such a complex feeling at the moment, like really wanting to have some sense of normality, but yeah, just still being concerned about 
those that aren't vaccinated and those yeah. that are going to be working in hospitals you know it's it's been um it's been great that the schools community and the, the AU have been so strong on on vaccinations and and talking a bit about um solidarity and unity you are have been a real as I understand it, a real force of organising at your school. Can you talk a little bit about the current negotiations uh, that have now reached, I guess, a bit of a standoff between the AEU and the Victorian government? Uh, because, as we mentioned in the intro, the log of claims really wasn't acknowledged, any things that the uh, the union were asking for around recognition of workload, around uh, pay scales, um, around <laughs> certainly in the last two years there's been some new roles for teaching staff and education support staff. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about why you've become active within the AEU and what the most important parts of this negotiation are for you personally? Certainly. Uh, look, I mean, first, I really do appreciate that you've tried to add some specific points to this question to prevent the tangent that it could become. Um, so I guess to start, in talking about the negotiations, it's difficult to do since uh, to call them negotiations, I think, is something of a farce. It has been a lot of hours sunk into this discussion, and prior to that, a lot of hours and organising and you know extensive communication and research that went into our log of claims. Um, the, the log of claims is something that was more or less unanimously supported. So the school that I work in, we consolidated everyone's voices and their, their input and really everything that was in our log of claims was reflected in everyone else's. You know, these are shared problems, they're real problems. Uh, they're coming directly from us, the people who experience them, and the people who are raising them because we know that alleviating those problems, improving those conditions would not only uh, improve our conditions and, and you know, make us better teachers, but that this is a genuinely important step in improving everything that flows on from education. You know, this is a, a fundamental human right. Having high quality public education has the potential to solve many, many of the numerous problems that we face in all facets of our lives. We are here because it's something that we think is worth fighting and, and struggling for. So to see the government meet this very clear list of things that are not just general concerns but that are problems with solutions, solutions the government can provide. To see that met with nothing has been really upsetting. What are the key claims? So you've already mentioned some of the, the major ones and these do look slightly different at different, I guess, areas uh, within the school but the number one focus was workload teachers, education support staff, everyone involved in the school community, uh, especially leadership, have a monstrous workload. So earlier in the year, the AEU uh, did a bit of a survey to see what kind of hours people were putting in usually. And on average, uh, teachers were putting in a minimum of 56 hours per week. Um, many staff that I spoke with, um, not just at my school, I mean, especially at this school, but in, in many other settings, do well in excess of 65 hours per week. Um, and that's not really even including crunch times, you know, in the lead up to exams or report writing, that goes well beyond that number. Um, it seemed like on average there were 16, uh, maybe it was 16, 16 plus hours of additional time required for report writing alone. Uh, principals and leadership are working a minimum of 65 hours per week. And this is something that, again, can be addressed. There is, at, at the moment, no cap on class sizes, 
you know, there's there's a, a common sense plan. Uh, schools need to structure their classes in a way that is beneficial to everyone. Um, but the way that that kind of workload is calculated doesn't really lead to equitable outcomes for workers here. So in addition to workload, um, there was a lot to do with pay scales. Um, there was a lot to do with professional development, you know, and our, uh, I guess, the additional time that's required to remain current in uh, a world that changes so rapidly, you know, and a world that requires such a uh, significant understanding of things like data. When, like myself, you might be teaching philosophy, the data there is great. <laughs> I, I love thinking about how that data could be applied or challenging the notion of data, but crunching those numbers is difficult. So, and that's just you know one element, but the professional development required is, is vast, so um, accounting for that, as well as things like contracts, um, various other OCH health and safety. The, the focus was, again, on workload. I think with the understanding that that is number one, the biggest problem, uh, the biggest contributor to teacher burnout, which is, I guess, generally understood to be at a astronomical level, um, not just compared to other professions, but you know, compared to, I guess, how it should be for a uh, human to work, you know, and, and do something that they love. Um, the the expectation being that if we can curb workload, it will free us up to do better elsewhere. Do you think? One of the challenges in a in a institutional setting like education is a lot of the people really love the work and love working with students, um, and that's kind of part of the battle. And I wonder if you could just have a think about like class sizes is one one thing, yeah, and making class size smaller. But you, the run-on effects of that is you need more teachers, you need more rooms to put those smaller classes into. You know, are there are there other ways you think that teachers could be um, given some more time to teach, which is the part that people love. I mean, it's interesting that one of the first steps of the AU is to ban responding to department e emails and ban uh, working on something called FISO, which is the framework for improving schools' outcomes, I think, or student outcomes, sorry, framework for improving student outcomes. Yeah, could you kind of talk a little bit about the scope creep of teaching, perhaps, like how, how it's moving away from just education and into other areas? Yeah, yeah. Again, this is a, a very big one, isn't it? So I think one of the major contributors to this scope creep is that teachers are currently accessible 24 hours a day. Uh, so in large part, this is due to, I guess, the technology that we use to deliver education, the fact that um, students are much like teachers, you know, kind of inherently intertwined with the devices that they use to learn. And because of course we promote, you know, feedback and we wanna make sure that learning is engaging, it means that we kind of have to venture further you know, into the technology itself and, and work out how to best, you know, deliver the, the content and kind of ensure that we're building those connections in the right way. And I guess the kind of the flip side, you know, of this technology is that we are always there. You know, we're always able to be reached. And I think this ties in perfectly to what you were saying about teachers love being here. We love teaching. Um, you know, I think even if you were to cast your mind back to 
like your gruff maths teacher who didn't quite seem so inspired you know maybe they were tired for one maybe they were approaching burnout that could well be the thing and uh, alleviating some workload might have helped that but I know from interactions with teachers and from my own experience that everything that a teacher does is is absolutely done with love and with a genuine belief that what we are doing is fundamentally good you know I left the corporate sector after it I guess like scooped out my soul and found not only respite but a much deeper gratification in the work that I was doing knowing that it was good and like you mentioned that that can lead to exploitation in a sense you know um, so I guess like a, a quick shout out to some other sectors that are currently trying to get their EBA, EBA off the ground. Um, the MEAA is working with booksellers, you know, trying to get basic workers' rights improved uh, across some retail stores. And one of the, I guess, key lines that has been used by employers to push back has been, you work in a bookstore, it's cool, it's great. You know, like, isn't this fun and nice? You know, we're, we're paying you in social capital as well, like, shut up. There certainly is a huge component of that to teaching. It is the most meaningful job that I can conceive of. And that meaning absolutely gets me through the most difficult days. However, there is no real logical connection between that and diminishing our rights or, or failing to improve our rights when it would undoubtedly lead to better student outcomes for one, but better well-being, you know, better kind of social engagement and, and better citizens coming out the other side of school. So I think that yeah, it is, it is so meaningful um, and it's, I guess, it's very easy to break down our hours, you know, and, and think these are the teaching hours, so those ones are good. You know, that's nice, that's fun to do. And then if you look at the kind of hours that we are required to do admin work or marking or report writing or developing assessments or professional development over the course of a week, if we kind of consider the portion of a full-time 38-hour work week that that comprises, it's not a huge number. But what that fails to consider is that these are the scheduled hours, but a teacher's identity is caught up in the work that they do entirely. And, and I think that often that can lead to the most authentic teaching possible, the most meaningful teaching that there can be. Um, but it means that drawing those lines is impossible. You know? and, and in some ways, I guess, arguing the, the merits of what we call the 30 plus eight model, which is how our kind of workload is broken down, just doesn't really apply. You know, and in addition to that, it's the, the work that we do is hyper social. It requires us being on all the time uh, in a way that, you know, I've, I've worked in offices and on a good day, I was on 50% of the time, you know, and that just can't happen here. You know, I think that the, the number of hours of work is one thing, and that's one thing that can be solved. But the, the quality and the, uh, I guess, the cost of that work is entirely a different story that isn't being addressed. So the first few rolling actions that the AU have arranged are, as I mentioned, a ban on responding to department emails, a ban on working on the framework for improving student outcomes, and also a commitment to only attend one hour of meetings per week. How effective do you think these uh, movements are going to be and what do you hope to see in the future? Yeah, okay. So I think that this first uh, phase of protected action doesn't really affect the majority of teachers or education support staff in their day-to-day -day kind of work. 
And I think that that is a, a, a conscious decision that's been made in the hopes that we can get some results in terms of actually getting our VGSA together without disruption. And in large part, that's informed by the fact that we have had a, we've had a very disrupted two years. Uh, I guess further to that is that things like strikes are very difficult to do during a pandemic. Uh, not only that, we have lost a lot of face-to-face -face time with our students. And I think that to lose more of that, uh, even if it were to be effective, you know, and obviously that's something that I would 100% support, but that's a, a much more difficult pill to swallow, given that I miss the students, I miss seeing them, and, and I don't want to lose more face-to-face -face time, especially when we've seen it play out in real time, you know, that remote and flexible learning can be done really well, but it, there are problems that could be solved were we back on site. So I think in this first round, uh, not responding to department emails is not something that takes up a whole lot of our time day to day. This is much more uh, aimed at school leadership. And again, it's much more focused on, uh, I guess, the government, you know, trying to send a message using the channels that most directly relate to the government's requirements of us. So there are a number of exceptions to those emails, anything that concerns pay or COVID or student staff well-being, which is, I would say, 99% of the department emails that I get. So when these protected actions were initially announced and after sort of looking through them and realising that it won't actually make much of a change in what I do when I come to work, um, there was an initial disappointment. However, uh, I am seeing that, again, this is just the first round the hope is that we can get a resolution and maybe that would be the case. So in terms of like what I would hope can happen, it will at least be kind of us, you know, like making enough noise that the government listens and sees that we're actually not messing around here. Um, the things that I hope to see in future announcements, again, it is really difficult to, I guess, strike that balance between wanting to see the students, not wanting to um, march in the street and, and perhaps lose that public support you know, let alone lose member support if that puts them in positions that they're not comfortable with. But some of the tangible things that we can do would be uh, working to time, you know, which is really uh, a much more literal interpretation of the work that we're required to do. And what that would often result in is the agreed upon turnaround times, say for the return of work, just won't be achieved. Uh, and I think that, you know, speaking to our earlier point, that's a very difficult thing for, for teachers to do, partly because you know, prompt feedback is effective feedback. Um, getting our work done is what we want to do because we know that we're doing it for the right reasons. But I think that doing that would at least, you know, create enough of attention that the reality of our work might become a bit clearer. Uh, yeah, I would also like to not write reports if possible. Perhaps a personal <laughs> request there. I think that would be a very popular yeah. uh, strike action amongst teacher class yeah look thanks so much for talking we're, we're out of time it is a really interesting time to be engaging in industrial action in this industry considering the level of political attention that the absence of teacher work as in face-to-face -face teacher work has had on the broader population so it's going to be really interesting to watch over the coming months if there is any strike action or working to time how the public support teachers you know hopefully they will be fully behind our wonderful educators and education support staff but it's going to be yeah an interesting thing to see thanks uh, so much for talking to stick together today josh my pleasure solidarity forever thanks to everyone who was listening today and remember 
wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. And stick together. Catch you next time. listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.